Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, I'm Shasta Nelson, founder of GirlfriendCircles.com, and you are listening to Life Giver. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey, and I am so excited to share with you another Life Giver story. Um, Today, we have Lindsay Swoboda joining us, and um, Lindsay and I got acquainted especially um, when when I launched the Sacred Spaces book, and she was on the uh, book launch team, and I've just gotten to know her over the years, and um, she took the Sacred Spaces Challenge, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, but more than anything else, I just, she and I are just a kindred spirit and I love her story. I love the journey that she's gone through in her marriage and in her life as a military spouse. And I'm so excited that she's willing to share this story with you guys today. So Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am just delighted to be here. I mean, you're, I know we'll get into it, but this podcast really, um, set me on a different path with my journey as a military spouse. So to be able to give back in this space at this moment is very um, surreal and rewarding. So I was just thinking about that because when you first reached out to me, you told me this story about how you first listened to the podcast. And um, the podcast has really been part of my journey too, of just kind of fleshing out what it means to be a military spouse and um, and being a little bit more authentic with, I think, some of the struggles and some of the victories that we ha- go through as military spouses. And so when you reached out to me and said, hey, I found this podcast and it's been meaningful to me, um, that's really part of my journey too of, of those moments where I'm ready to give up on it and then I hear from you and it's like, okay, I, it's, it's worth it for me to keep going. So why don't you share with everybody a little bit of your background first before we get into that. Um, tell us a little bit about you and how you and Ryan met, because really today's story, your story that you're sharing is really a wonderful marriage story. So why don't you take us back just a little bit and share with us a little bit about you and Ryan? Okay, sure. So I feel like I've told this story enough times I can condense it down to like the Cliff Notes version at this point, if Cliff Notes are even a thing still. But um, Ryan and I met when we were 17 years old and not in high school we actually met on a cruise ship and we were both on spring break but i was with my best friend's family and he was on a trip with his high school and his friend stole my camera you know which is he didn't really steal it but he was three doors down and when i went to get my camera back i opened the door and ryan was there and over the past five magical days um we just started talking and found out how weird was it that we lived 45 minutes away from each other in Ohio um and we exchanged numbers and then we parted ways and when we got home um he did not call me but I tend to be someone that um goes after what I want so I called him because my prom date fell through 
And he didn't end up going to prom with me that year. That was our junior year of high school. But he did come down to see me perform um, at the time. I've been a dancer my whole life. And at the time, I was performing with um, for a baseball team. We were like dugout dancers. And we'd run out and perform free between <laughs> innings. Yeah, so he came and um, went to the game. And we just had kind of our first eight that night. And then we went through all of our senior year of high school together and um, kept dating as he went into boot camp for the Marine Corps. Um, I went down to school in Kentucky and we made it through those three months. And I was very um, Nicholas Sparksy and I wrote him every day. Nicholas Sparksy. <laughs> I was, I wrote him a letter every day, you know, like the notebook. Um, because we couldn't talk. You don't talk when they're in boot camp. And the one time they do get a phone call, they're, you, they're like group messed up something. So he never got to call. Um, I shouldn't say this, but I feel like 10 years have gone by. So I can now maybe more than that. But I lied and I took my exams early and I got on a plane for the very first time so I could surprise him at the boot camp graduation. Um, 19 years old, had never been on a plane. And I left from Nashville and flew there. I met his family. Um, so fast forward a little bit to that coming summer where I'm going into my sophomore year of college. He is um, switching into his MOS and we did break up because at that point um, I could feel that he was very serious about us and I felt it too, but I wasn't ready to give up on what I wanted and I couldn't see us making it through four more years or more of long distance so I did. What was it you wanted? I wanted a career Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a dancer and I didn't want to give that up. And to me, becoming a military spouse was giving all of that up Mm -hmm. Um, because I knew there was going to be a sacrifice and I wasn't ready to sacrifice that yet. So we did break up and we dated awful people. Hopefully they're, they weren't the best people for us, but that was so good because I feel like then it gave us the freedom to see that what we had wasn't just puppy love. Like I kind of thought it was, I needed to know for me that, um, he was really it. So anyway, I'm entering my senior year of, um, of college now, and he was deploying for the first time to Iraq. And he called me before he left and we had kind of been checking in on each other because I, you know, I don't think we could ever fully give each other up, but, um, he called me before he left and I just said, you know, please be safe. And I hope I get to talk to you again. And, um, and that was it. And I didn't hear from him for six months. And I just remember thinking, oh, I blew it. Like I hearing his voice again before he left. And I had been thinking about him those few years. And I just, I had, had left all other boyfriend's stuff in like gotten rid of it, but all of Ryan and I's things was in a little shoe box mm. and I never got rid of it. It was, and it moved with me. Like I moved every year of college and it always came with me and I couldn't get rid of it. So I went through all the things in the shoe box and was like, oh, well, this is it. I'll never see, you know, talk to this guy again. And six months pass and um, he calls me and um, a bomb had gone off near his base and no one was injured, thankfully, but he did not want to call anyone else when that happened but me. Mm. So I think his light went off, my light went off. He said, can I come see you in three months? And I said, yes. 
And he showed up uh, my senior year on my doorstep with his face and I opened the door and I was like, darn it. I just, um, I just knew. I feel like when I made that break from him, I hadn't seen him in two years and it wasn't, you know, there was like MySpace out there. There wasn't like Facebook. You couldn't like, you know, snoop around on people the way you can a little bit more now. So I really had no idea what he looked like or what had changed about him. And I just, as soon as he hugged me, I, Ryan has always been my person. So he always will be. I, I love the, the idea that both of these moments for you involved him opening or this door opening and there he's. Yep. So, I mean, he's just, and we're good together. And I think it was good though, because we were so young. I'm not saying relationships can't work when you're that young, but for me, I've always been someone that sort of has to do things the hard way. And I needed to go through that to really know that we were it and he was it for me. So we dated that whole year. Um, He went back to Iraq for a second tour. He came home. At that point, I had moved to Colorado um, to pursue um, a contract up there with a theater. And he kind of came in and out. I flew to San Diego a lot. And he proposed on December 23rd. And what, seven days later, we got married. He flew to Colorado. Yeah, I don't know. We just, I mean, that's his time. You guys have been together for a while. Yeah. And I love these stories of um, meeting in high school. I always, um, I have, I met my husband in college and we thought we were young, you know, but when I hear these stories about high school, I think one of the things I love about it is that um, these kinds of marriages, you grow up together. There's something about, I mean, even though you guys kind of broke up and dated other people, there is some element of knowing each other and kind of maturing and growing up together. I would agree. I would say, um, I just listened to your podcast episode for families um, and how to explain kind of the changes within us to our families. And there, you were talking about there's a science behind we revert to ourselves. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So sometimes I do feel like if we, since we've known each other for so long, we do have moments where we're both sweetly 17 again and then also like oh yeah not so sweetly 17 again where we're like you do the work no you do it oh I've never thought of that yeah Yeah. sometimes we're just like kids kids again together which is very fun and also like oh no strangely deceptive (laughs) yes oh no so but you know we've yeah it is nice to see that we've grown up together and I don't know this year we've known each other like 15 years or something and been married for nine of those. So, um, I love that part of us. Um, yeah, so we got married trying to think of the rest of the story after we got married, things came a full circle because I accepted a contract for carnival cruise lines, which is where we met. And seven days after we got married, he went back to Iraq for a third deployment and I got on a cruise ship. (laughs) Um, nine months passed while I was on the boat and he was in Iraq for the third time. And that one was very hard on us. Um, we just gotten married and then that was it. It was like, I do, goodbye. Um, (laughs) Which I know a lot of people have gone through, but Mm -hmm. I, I also feel like it was extenuating circumstances in some ways because the cruise ship work kept me very busy, but I was only one of like three Americans below deck. Mostly everyone else was from different countries. Um, And at that time, 
the only time we could talk to each other is if we, he might've caught me when I was walking around port, like I docked in New Orleans. So he could call me there um, or we could try to set up a Skype date. But with me like being in the ocean and him in the desert, like this connection was, I think we talked maybe five times that whole nine months. What was that reintegration like for you guys? Um, now that I'm at a more mature point in our marriage and life, I think I would have handled some things differently. There was never, um, I feel like just that first year that we actually did get to live together was a struggle because during those nine months, I feel like he really pushed me away because he was just trying to get through it. You know, it's like, I'm here for a third time. We just got married. Let me do this. Like, let me carry my pack and let me get this done so we can be together. But I also felt like we've gotten married. I'm so excited to be with you finally. I just worked a job I love, but I am married and we made this decision. And I knew that it needed to be me and I'm sort of ready to give that part of myself up, but not completely. So we moved to Monterey and um, I really struggled with just becoming a military spouse. I didn't really know what that looked like and what I thought it looked like was different than it was and trying to sort of really figure out how to um, create work for myself, which was good for me because I got very creative and I ended up loving what I was doing there and I taught classes and um, became kind of more of a dance teacher, which I ended up enjoying more so actually than I ever did performing. But I just think it was good for us because we were so far away from our family that we had to figure things out, just the two of us. Um, but it was also just a lot of give and take of trying to figure out what does this look like? What are our expectations of each other? How do we have this dialogue when we're still only 23 at this point? Um, and we're starting over together, which can be really refreshing, but can also be very confusing. Well, I, I'm thinking about the fact that you were newly married, um, even though you had known each other and you had known him during these other deployments, this kind of new military spouse experience for you um, and this reintegration was also um, right in the middle of him coming back from a deployment. I mean, it's a lot of new stuff happening all at once. It was all new and we had never spent more than like a week together mm -hmm. at one point in time we never lived near each other because even when we were in high school we were not the same school it was 45 minutes well so, in some of these other previous deployments you weren't necessarily married through those deployments no. this one you you were married through that right and so the, i think there's a little bit of an ownership at that point like when you you're married and you're going through this deployment together um there's i maybe you have to help me with this, but I think that we pay a little bit more attention to the fact that, you know, our, this person that we love is deployed. How are they doing? What are they going through? But there's still so much disconnect there um, because now you're married. What does that mean that you've been in Iraq? For right. Absolutely. And I just remember when I was on the ship, you know, no one could really, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't part of a spouse community. I'd never even lived on a base yet. I had just like, we got married. I had been doing my thing, doing my thing, doing my thing with a service member boyfriend. And then I was doing my thing, doing my thing with the service member husband, but didn't really, there wasn't anyone down there that could relate to me. And I say down there, cause you like live 
on the bottom level of the boat, you know, there's no windows. And I just remember walking past the mess hall and there would be things about Iraq there every day. And I would just have to like grab my coffee and I'd like put my blinders on and go back to my room and just hope to get an email from him or something. And then I remember calling the fro at one point while I was on the ship because I was like, I'm really struggling. But like, she had no idea who I was. Like she was trying to help me, but like, she's never seen, like I didn't live there. So it was just, yeah, it was a whole lot of, um, of new things and being young. And I would say we were doing our best with what we knew at the time. So I feel like that was that first year, we look back at a lot of it and laugh now, right? About the things we used to get upset about or, um, and also the things that we loved experiencing together and the things that just made us crazy about each other in good and bad ways with learning how to live together for the first time. I just, I feel like every post of my military spouse existence has been a huge learning like a book, a book opening where I feel like my, my doors are opening. My books are always opening. And I don't know if that's just the, I'm very, I'm a very curious person and I just always want to know more and try, try something different if it's not working, you know? And I felt like there was a lot of things in that first year that weren't working. So then we had to try something new and that's good. I'm glad we struggled together because the happy, wonderful times I always remember, but it's in the, in the dust of the really ugly stuff and seeing each other, but I feel like that's where we grew. And so um, when you've shared your story with me, there's a part where things start to take a turn when you guys decide it's time to have children. Yes. Okay. Um, Well, okay. So after California, we moved to Korea. So we moved to Seoul, South Korea together. And that was a wonderful journey for us. I feel like California was all about figuring it out and sort of setting new boundaries for each other and figuring out what our marriage was going to look like. And South Korea was all about just enjoying what we had built. It just felt natural. We were good together every day. Um, Again, I felt I didn't work there for some time, but then I got a job, but I wasn't as worried about all of that that time because I just was like, well, a little time off is not gonna kill me. It actually gives me time to explore and plan trips for us and did a lot of exploring. And then after that chapter ended, we moved to Hawaii. And that is where we started thinking about having a family. I had a bucket list of items to do before we had a child. And the last thing I had on there was for him to take me to Europe. And we did go. And then I feel like we landed in Hawaii. And we went to the first, like the first day at the beach. He was like, okay, well, we've done all these things. Like, how are you feeling? And um, he asked me this question where he said, do you want to be pregnant alone? Or do you want to have the baby alone? Be with the baby alone. Uh, And I remember looking off into the waves and thinking, I'd rather be pregnant alone. That doesn't seem as bad. Like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Which ended up, that's what happened. And some more things happened. (laughs) So I did find out five days after he deployed um, that I was pregnant. And then I thought I had lost the baby. Mm. Um, which, and I couldn't get a hold of him. And luckily I hadn't. Um, I just, they had to run some tests and I ended, I, my body hung on to her. She just had attached really low. So I had to go to all those appointments for the placenta previa. 
because they thought maybe I was going to have to have a C-section. And But she grew big enough and she pushed it up out of the way. So hooray, all of those things worked out for us. And I just felt like being pregnant alone, there were moments that were harder than I thought they would be. But overall, I don't know. I think I've always read you're a mother from the first time you see the stick. And that's how I felt. I feel like I woke up, I like rubbed my eyes, I took the test and I saw that and I just, my whole world changed and I knew whatever I had to do, I was going to do. And for me, I am a person that has higher anxiety. So for me that I just really calmed down. I took a lot of prenatal yoga. I feel like I stayed very chill. I really missed him. He ended up getting extended. So he stayed until I, he came home right when I was 36 weeks. So we had thought of some creative ways um, to work around that. And I ended up switching onto the TRICARE standard so I could go to the hospital that was closer to us just in case he didn't make it back in time. Um, but luckily he did. And then we had her and it was amazing. But before we had her, 30 days into him being home, he came back in with like heavy boots. Um, and he sat down on the couch and I just remember like holding my belly and being like, it's not like bad news is coming. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, I know you just wanted to be pregnant alone. I'm home, but they really need me to go back out. And I just felt, I tried to be very positive at first because that's generally what I tend to do. And I was like, okay, well, you're here for the birth. Like how lucky am I? We're getting to do this birth together. I have a lot and of friends that haven't. this is all in Hawaii, by the way. Yeah. This which, is all in Hawaii. Um, We're thousands of miles away. <laughs> right, right, which is beautiful. But one of the things that I hear about Hawaii is that it's very isolating. It's a very small island. Um, so it's, it's glamorous and sounds wonderful. But I hear that a lot of people struggle in Hawaii. It's interesting, Corey, because every post I've had except for California has been overseas. Mm -hmm. So by the time this... By the time our current chapter closes, I'll have spent 10 years away from the continental U.S. Wow. Like it's been a decade since I've been within like four hours flying. It's always like 20 hours and we're there, um, which I feel like I've adjusted to somewhat only because I can't think about it. Yeah. Because there's which nothing is a theme, I can really by the way, I think for you <laughs> is this place of, you know, and this is kind of a foreshadowing, right? Mm -hmm. um, is this place of acceptance. I think, um, is this, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, we have been blessed, um, to be driving distance from family. Um, most of the places that we've been stationed. So I cannot imagine, and we've also not been blessed enough to be able to have overseas yet. Like we're way right. overdue for that. And so it's just interesting sometimes how one family, you know, you've gotten all overseas and these wonderful mm -hmm. opportunities to explore. But what comes with that is um, for a lot of spouses, isolation and huge amounts of growth, by the way. Um, the character growth that you have to go through to just go, you know what, I don't, I don't have any other option. And I hear that a lot, by the way, I hear people say, I have no other option. So I just do it. But I just want to remind everybody that you do have an option. You have an option to completely lose it and not hold it together. Um, but there's something in us that goes, you know what, that doesn't sound like a good choice. So I'm going to do this one over here that says, I'm just mm -hmm. going to push through it. And right. I think um, that's one of the themes of your story, at least from my perspective, is this embracing that you had to, in that moment, even though you were trying to be super positive, that you were like, okay, 
this is what we're doing. But then what happened? Um, so I, I feel like I went into it positively because we hadn't had her yet, right? He probably told me this maybe like 10 days before I was due. And of course she was like five days after that. Um, but I, we had her and I, that was hor like not horrible. My labor was wonderful and having her was wonderful, but I just, there's a new person in the room. And one of the, my favorite things my friends told me when I was asking kind of like new mom advice, one of my friends says, well, when you come home from the hospital, there are three strangers in your house, yourself, your spouse, and your child. Mm -hmm. You're all strangers in this bubble together, trying to figure out your new normal. And in that year, um, he was only gone for six months for that one. So that wasn't horrendous. But at the same time, I feel like because I knew he was leaving the time that he was home, I was a so tired because you're a new mom, like the first three months, let's be real they're They're tough, especially without family nearby and all of that. Um, I just felt kind of like I had already pushed him. I was like, here's the baby, she's made it, and now I have to keep carrying on with just her. It's her and I, and you are here, and I, I, will, I, I am very uncomfortable saying the solo parent thing. I know I, have, I know I have a lot of military spouse friends that say, I'm a solo parent. I'm uncomfortable with that because I don't ever feel like I'm, I'm not a single mom. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different road. I don't, I don't know what that's like to walk that road. I do have a support system. I do have someone that's, that's there, but wasn't there physically present. So, um, and then there were some other factors involved before he left. We had a really tough breastfeeding journey. Um, that did not work out for me. Um, and then I just feel like I carried all of that. It was just, ooh, I feel like my back was broken under just trying to carry this new responsibility of life and figure out who I wanted to be as a mother. But also those six months I grew so much as a mom and we were like a well-oiled machine, but I didn't grow as a spouse. Mm. I didn't grow as a wife. I kind of forgot what it meant to be a wife because I wasn't playing both roles. And the interesting thing is we set new boundaries for ourselves on that deployment that we're not a couple that does very well talking every day. I don't have enough to say when we were younger, we could do that. But now that we're older, we were like, we'll talk on the weekends because that's when he had more free time. And so did I. So we talked over the weekends and that was great, right? Mm -hmm. That was a really good new boundary to set for ourselves. But then I just feel like every time we talked, it was about me showing him how our child was doing. And mm -hmm. if I were to do it differently, I would put her to bed and get on the phone without her air because I wasn't making space for the two of us. So that was, I'm, and I'm, I look back on that year. I'm very, I'm very proud of what I did as a mother, but I just know that I wasn't a wife at all. So how did you know, what were the red flags um, that you ended up seeing that you were able to go, okay, wow, I didn't realize that I had gotten to here. My red flag came not until he got home because I feel like before that, I, I just feel like I really tried to enjoy her because there was some guilt there about him not getting to be there for it all. So I feel like I just tried to be very present and enjoy her and I wouldn't say not think about him being there, but just know that I thought I didn't want to rest in this place of you're not here. Mm -hmm. I wanted to rest in a place of, but I'm here. And 
she has one of us and it's it's me and I'm going to enjoy this baby stage because it won't repeat itself and I you know I just want to be here with her so when he did get back I'm trying to put this into words when he got back we just weren't we weren't right it wasn't con we weren't connected I didn't I felt very angry all of a sudden mm. more so than I had allowed myself to feel while he was gone because I don't feel like I carried that attitude with me during the six months he was away I feel like I stayed fairly positive through that but then when he came back I didn't know how to give him any of the responsibility back and I wanted him to be with her and I wanted them to get time together so I really worked on that and gave them grace to grow together as a father and a daughter, but I still stood on the outside, mm -hmm. like watching the two of them. And it was very hard for me to like go on, even like get away from the house and go on dates, even though I knew we needed it. I just feel like I took that responsibility of having just her and me so much to heart that it was hard for me to, to leave her. Um, yeah, so I knew there was a red flag and I knew we were going to move overseas again. Um, we got those that message and I just felt exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I felt like we weren't. The signs of what I would think crumbling are were not what we were experiencing. In my mind, crumbling would have been like arguing with each other every day and nipping at each other or having, and none of that was happening. It was more, um, was it distance. silence? It was silence. It was silence and distance and me not knowing how to talk to him anymore. I think that um, that's how most people think okay. of crumbling. They really do. They, most people go, well, we're not arguing. We're not this. We're not that. But it's the silence that I think is the passive aggressive destruction that happens mm -hmm. in marriage. Because when you've gotten to a place of silence and distance where there's just like you said, there's, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to do. I don't know yeah. how to take that step forward. Um, you know, you, you can almost picture at least the arguing, the fighting is we're fighting for something. Even if it's right. fighting for ourselves, we're fighting for something. But when you get to a place of apathy and a place of silence or dread or whatever, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but for a lot of people, um, they can go on for a long time with that distance and silence without even realizing how destructive it is. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I would agree, agree with dread being a word that I felt because I just felt so, I felt like I should be so happy he's back, but I didn't know how to embrace him back into our family. I didn't want to give him his role back. Also because to be honest, it felt like the baby thing. I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew what what list to check off during the day to make sure that went well. So adding another personality back into the mix. And also I think having a back-to-back -back deployment, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for what that looked like to be, oh, we get a three month breather, we're back into this again. And also adding such a dynamic change of a child into the family and feeling like we should be so blessed and we should be so happy and we should, should, should. We had to drop the should and just look at where we were. So that is where I was in January of 2016. When she was turning one, I just felt like I am lost and I don't know what to do with this silence. So I typed into Google uh, military podcasts and life giver is what showed up and he would come home um, 
And I would put her in the stroller and he, you know, he's still trying to reintegrate himself after almost two years kind of away. So I was like, I know that being like doing the baby thing right away, let me take that off of you. And I'm going to put her in the stroller and I'll go for a 30 minute walk and I'll come back and then we can have dinner and everything. And that was kind of our routine. So during that 30 to 45 minute walk, I just had you in my ears walking this. I walked this like little loop around this lake and we come back. And it just gave me so much to think about every time. And I was like hungry for episodes. Like once I discovered you, you'd already had like a list set. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, wandering out like, oh, what am I going to get today? And wandering out. And that's when um, I went, I, then I got curious about you and went on to the, your webpage and discovered you had a book coming out. And that year is the same year I kind of looked at him and said, I need to do something for me. Her whole first year, you know, was kind of a toss up and um, we made it. But now I'm ready and I have the energy to do something for myself again. We're moving overseas. I don't see going back to work as a feasible option right now. But I see writing as a feasible thing I should start doing, which I've always written. But... Um, I just needed a creative outlet because again, I was a dancer before and then becoming a mother, it was okay to say goodbye to that. I don't miss it, I don't miss performing. I love teaching still when I get the opportunity, I do, but I just needed something creative. So I was up at like four in the morning, writing, you know, just starting like to get my, everything from that year kind of like spilled out onto a screen um, in about three months and I discovered Sacred Spaces was coming out and I had started this little blog. So I was like, well, maybe they'll let me join this team to spread the word because I'm starting to get passionate and curious about what it means to be a military spouse. Mm -hmm. um, finally, it's taken me like seven years at that point to be like, I'm a military spouse. I'm, I really am one. You are legitimately at this point, a military spouse. I'm real. I'm on <laughs> it. <laughs> but before that, Corey, like I'd always had work. It wasn't until we had our daughter that I felt like a dependent. Mm -hmm. And I don't find that a derogatory or ugly word because I am happy with the role I play as a spouse and a mother now. But at the time, shifting into that role felt very hard. And I felt like I still had to prove myself somehow with work. And so I will admit some of the writing felt a little bit that way that first year that like I'm getting back out there. But at the same point, it gave me just this great release and an introduction to a community of people that I didn't really know were out there that were feeling the same way I was feeling and were ready to start having the honest conversations of being military spouses. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that there are very hard seasons, but also finding the light like there is light, but it might take two years. Like I feel like we started that journey in 2016. It's now 2018. And I feel like my head is just now above the surface. Such a huge message that you are, that you just said is that, um, you needed that time and that you needed time. Um, it's not always that you need that much time to know what to do. It's more so that you need that much time to see the fruit of your labor or to see what happens with that seed that you planned. And so, you know, I think, you know, I had not met you yet um, at this moment in your life, but mm -hmm. I think back because here you were, you were really um, 
things were crumbling and you were tired and you were exhausted. And when I wrote the book, um, I knew that it was a challenging message and um, I wasn't scared to put it out there because I knew it was true, if that makes any sense. But I knew that what I was, I knew I was writing to families who were exhausted. I knew I was writing to people who were probably resentful and angry. And here I was writing this message that is pretty much saying, it's time for you to go back to work, not career wise, but back to work in your marriage. And I just had to trust that I wasn't going to get beat up for it. <laughs> I was scared. I'll be honest. I was scared. Um, but I just knew that it's what everybody needed. And so tell me, tell everybody what your thoughts were when you first started to read the book and you're on the launch team. Um, and I think that took you a little bit by surprise as well. Um, reading the book, it kind of made me mad a couple times because I knew what you were saying was true as I was reading it. Um, I was like, oh, booger, it's me. It has to be me that comes forth and, and ends this silence between us because I can see he's trying to reach me. And at that point I was like, um, just my, my gates were closed. I didn't want to be, it wasn't like I was jumping off the wagon of our marriage, but I just felt like I don't, I'm not, I'm too tired to deal with this. That's how I felt a lot of days. Like I'm just too tired to make this extra step. So when we were challenged in the launch team to make this pledge of something we could do differently, I was like, okay, well, if I'm really going to do this, and I at least feel like I have the support of these other people that are on this team that are doing this. What can I really do? And I decided to pledge a year, a full year of wearing a bracelet and just starting with little things. And I just remember we would sit together and I would play the podcast episodes for him that I thought he would find useful. And then we would talk about it and we would pause it and we would talk about it some more. I bookmarked up book and I would read him things and be like, this is what I'm trying to explain, but I don't have the words to say them to you because we've let this silence grow for six months and I don't know, here they are, here are the words. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like he started sharing his words and um, about a month in there was pushback from him, but he was like, this isn't, you're not really trying to change. Like you think you're trying to change, Ooh, you're so not really going to change. You. Can I pause yeah. you just for a second? Because those that are listening, um, so yeah, Definitely, yeah. you can read through the book and just read through the book, and that's it. Yeah, go but ahead. One of the things that I challenged the um, launch teams to to do, which has, um, to my joy and surprise, continued that people okay. are doing this still, um, is that I really wanted to make it applicable so that as people were reading my journey, that I really wanted them to feel like it was their journey too. And yes. if we were really going to change, if we were really going to do something, then it's too easy to just read a book and then put it down and say, that was great. Right. Um, and so the challenge to the launch team originally was to, I gave them each blue paracord bracelets that just yes. was a daily reminder that they chose an intentional, just one simple thing, like not anything crazy that was not attainable, but one simple thing that they could do each day um, to pursue their spouse. And so some of them chose that they were going to actually physically reach out, not necessarily sexually, but physically reach out they're going to hold their spouse's hand each day, or they're going to greet that, greet them with a kiss or somebody else said, I'm going to say one thankful, one thing I'm thankful for to him each day for how hard he works or whatever. 
And so everybody could do that however they wanted to. And then they also did it, they decided a an amount of time. So some people said, right. I'm going to do it for the duration of reading the book. Um, somebody else would say, I'm going to do it for two weeks or a month. And here Lindsay is <laughs> doing it for 365 days, which Ow. blew me away. Um, but I was like, let's see what happens, right? Yeah. Let's, let's, because for me, my journey was, had definitely been about that long. And so, um, so that's the commitment that you had made. And so I think it's so important what you're saying right now is that I had also asked them, I given them these cards where they could write out what that is. And if you're interested in those cards, you can actually get it by subscribing to my newsletter and you can get that same card that Lindsay's talking about where um, I actually asked them to write it out and put it somewhere on their fridge or on their bathroom mirror or somewhere where it wasn't so much because I wanted the, their spouse to see it, but I also didn't want these military spouses who were doing this to hide. I didn't want them to you do, you know, the difference, like, it's yes. not like we're going to our spouse and saying, I'm going to make this change in my life right. and hope it makes a difference for you. But I also right. didn't want them to hide it so much that they didn't receive the accountability if it was the opportunity to have it there. Mm -hmm. And so it could be a conversation starter, right. um, or it could just be, you know what, it's just my thing. It's just something I'm doing. You don't have to worry about it, but at least right. it's there. Um, and it gives your spouse the opportunity to um, see that you're doing something, but even more than that, it gives you the opportunity to get some wins under your belt. Because sometimes yeah. I see in marriage that somebody's trying, they're doing something in their marriage, but because the other person doesn't know about it, they're not seeing it. And so all right. this effort, um, I'm not saying it's going to waste, mm -hmm. but there's so many more opportunities for it to be seen and to have that make a difference when the other person knows what you're doing. Right. So this accountability, I think was, um, it was ripe is the word that comes to my mind. Like it just was coming, you know? Yes. And so at some point I knew, um, there's going to be this conversation that's going to happen between you and your spouse. And right. here at this point for you, he's pushing back and he's going, something's not changing, which tell us what that was like, because I imagine there was defensiveness. Yes. I imagine there was a little bit of who do you think you are? Like, mm -hmm. this is my thing I'm doing. And so you don't have the right to tell me whether or not I'm changing or not, or right. so walk us through that moment. I think for me, the defensiveness was more, maybe neither of us believed we could come back from where the silence mm -hmm. had taken us. So it was a hopelessness. Yeah. Or was it like, resistant? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was hopeless. I would say it was resistant. Mm -hmm. I would say, are you seriously going to follow this through? Because I mean, he's known me since I was 17. I mean, and I think I needed, I needed him to know I was working to make myself accountable so that he could also help me be accountable. Because it felt like for every little step I took forward, he would then come up to meet me. Mm. And then I'd take another step forward and then he'd come up to meet me. And those walks I was taking where he was getting that time home, he then came home and put on his shoes and went walking with me. Mm -hmm. And we used that time when she was in the stroller to talk. Um, and I think the hardest part was the talks aren't always fun. Yeah. <laughs> the talks aren't always pleasant. Um, I have this game I play with my daughter that we go and look under rocks in the backyard and we try to find fun bugs and things to look at. And sometimes you're going to find that really scary, horrible spider under there for me that you're like, I just want to squash that with the rock and set it back down and slam it and grind it into the earth and not look at it. And instead I feel like we flip them all up and we're like, here they are. 
Mm. Here are all these things we've been flipping over and now we have to greet them because we both really want to continue forward together. Like not continuing forward is not an option in our minds. So what can we do to continue to take the steps forward? And that was a week that we took a few back and that was okay. Now that I'm seeing that, I just feel like this was the time in our marriage that we were starting to figure out how to argue conducively, conductively, I'm going to say that right. Um, And how to have big, scary talks and still be safe enough to have them together. And that was wonderful. (laughs) So speak to, speak to influence. Um, If you've, if you've listened to the podcast before, um, people have heard me say many times that you may not have control in your marriage, but you do have influence. So talk about this influence that ended up affecting your spouse, because you're the one that's wearing this bracelet. You're the one that's doing this thing each day. And then one day he's tying his shoes and going on a walk with you. Right. I think the important thing with influence is knowing it's not overnight. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so much more actions speak louder than words for us. For him, especially in our marriage, we both know what our love language is um, now, right? As we've examined it further over the past couple years. And his is definitely acts of service. So I, he told me, I really miss, you used to make me breakfast every day in Korea, right? This is before we had a baby. So then I realized after we had a baby, I kind of looked at him like, well, you're a guy, you're the adult, you do it. You do the things for you, which was not the right way to look at things, but it was how I felt. Um, Guilty as charged that I just kind of stopped putting the work in of the little things that he needed because he will profess that he's a person that doesn't really need a lot. But the things that he does need, I need to pay attention to those. And I had forgot to pay attention. So I started making his breakfast and like packing a lunch and snacks for him. And then we were talking and I had done this for about a month and I looked at him and I'm like, I'm really glad I've been doing this. Have you been feeling loved and cared for? And he was like, yes, I love having this back. And I was like, well, now I'm going to tell you something I would really love to see. This is a month later, by the way. Yes. See differently. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well, I'm open to that. And mine is words of affirmation. Like no, surprise there in my mind that like, I love to write and I've been a dancer my whole life that like has gotten applauded for at the end of her job. I need an applause. (laughs) Sometimes I need just a little smattering of applause. And um, so we came up with in the military, you know, there's the good cookie. You get like the little stars, right? That's right. Right. You get good cookies as a service member. So I have this thing where every night before we go to bed and he doesn't let me cash it in every night, but um, most nights I'll say, I really need a good cookie tonight. And he will pick something out of the day or the week or whatever has been recently that he thinks I've done a great job at or whatever, just some sort of verbal praise. And I go to bed with that. And it has been so rewarding that it's in these little Nobody had to change this big gaping hole in who we were. This wasn't a, like we were lying down underneath the ocean, but it was like little tiny steps over the past two years. And I think 
that's where it's at for us at this point in time. I have so much more faith moving forward, knowing it's little tiny things for us over time that make a difference. And with me taking the step to be kinder and me taking a step back when things get heated and possibly putting a boundary up or saying, let's wait on that. Or it just, I feel like we've matured so much more and how we've talked to each other and me working on how I'm emotionally maturing and handling it has influenced how he's responding and also wanting to step into being that, being that person that he always has been. I just feel like we've helped each other in a good way. One of the things that I love about what you just described is that when you were able to approach him and tell him what you needed, um, you would actually, you didn't wait for him to guess. You didn't wait for him. She probably needs some words of affirmation or her applause or her cookies today, right? Just being able to go and say, today is one of those days that I really feel like I need this from you. And I think that's a huge hurdle that a lot of couples go through is that we do this guessing game and we expect people to mind read or spouse to mind read. And then we get resentful when they don't know. And especially when you're saying his is acts of service, he's not going to be thinking about giving you words of affirmation all the time because that's not his, that's not his default. And so the fact that you can bring that to him and say, I need this from you and not be resentful that he hasn't given it already, that you're giving him this opportunity to win and give him this opportunity to feed that need of yours. Um, and that you can, it's just as important that you're able to receive it, that you receive it as just as genuine as if he had come up with it himself. Mm -hmm. Big difference. That's true. I never thought about it that way before. I do feel like we're both just trying to be more honest about what we need in each season. And that's been, I mean, I feel like I have heard that so many times this year because it is the truth. Like you are in seasons together. Um, And even currently we are in a season where we moved overseas again and what we've needed here has been different. And being able to greet each other in this current space and say, wow, Our whole world around us is different. What do we do as a couple now? What are our priorities together now as a family? Now for the first time this past December, December, what year is it now? December 2017 is the first time we have seen each other for 365 days in three years. Wow. December 7th hit and I was like, what? I have woken up next to you every day this year. I mean, that was bigger than our anniversary this year because I just was like, look, look at us. Like, and look where we, where we were three years ago in this very scary stillness to knowing it didn't just happen. It was work to get us back to where we were. And it was work to pull myself into a new place of accepting I'm a military spouse and a mother and knowing that's a really great, strong place to be. It really is a wonderful thing to embrace when you let go of the anger and resentment. Yes. Was that part of your journey over this 365 days was to not only serve him in these small ways, but also that personal journey of letting that go and picking something else up? Yes. I feel like during the 365 days, God spoke to me in more ways than I didn't want him to speak to me. Mm. Like I was like, this is too much. 
and then he would give me something new to read. I feel like the biggest thing, and I spoke about it before, I was always a curious person until kind of we had a child and then I was so focused on that and focused on trying to fix my marriage and focused on everywhere that I just, it took me this year to kind of be lowered back down again. We are living in Africa um, and this has been a tough move and this has been a tough place to live and it took a lot of curiosity on my behalf to say, what are these feelings I'm having and how am I going to choose what to do with them next. How mm -hmm. do I greet them? How do I live with them instead of trying to push them away? How am I going to be here now in what I'm feeling and also the roles that I'm playing? Because I don't, it's interesting when we lived in Korea, there was still a lot of base support and you had days where the culture would get to you and it would feel like, whew, this is culture shocky today. But like I can go home and watch seven hours of Gilmore Girls because I don't have a child and I can mm -hmm. eat a burger and like just <laughs> recover myself. But here now I have a child and it is a different situation because when I am down, she is my emotional barometer and she's a toddler and she feels it. So I don't feel like I have to hide it necessarily, but I needed some new healthy ways to start confronting where I am now and who I want to be next and know that it's okay to change both of those things and we won't crumble. I will in fact help my family and myself being able to step up those stones. And it is exhausting to keep thinking you have to do more work. The work is not fun when you're in it. Um, for instance, I read The Present Over Perfect. Such a good book. So good. Such a good book. And I felt like I'm in this place where I'm really having to greet my priorities mm -hmm. and it is a season to just be a mother and a wife. How do I feel about that? What does it mean to me right now? And what is the gift that I'm being given by getting to experience this chapter? Oh, that's so powerful, Lindsay, because I also, that book came into my life at a very important time for me as well. Yeah. I'm needing to do the same thing. And I think, you know, I listened to your story and I listened to these things that you had to wrestle through. And I think that there are some spouses out there that will listen to this story um, and think how 50s this is, right? I know. Um, how like, you know, here I am and I'm making his breakfast and I'm doing something nice for him each day. And I'm um, doing, you know, I'm not working and I'm taking care of the children and I'm staying home. And, and anybody who's, I think, been a military spouse you know, we all relate to the fact that it feels like you're walking into the fifties, I think yes. in, to some degree. Um, but I think there is a temptation in the military spouse world that, um, that there's something about that that's not enough. And so we have to go build and create and work. And when we can't work, let's find another creative way to work instead. And, and we have to build this empire in light of the fact that we can't do it the normal way. And so every, what I see is military spouses exhausting themselves. And I have to ask myself, why? Is it because we think that do, you know, reprioritizing and taking care of what's in front of us isn't enough, that that's mm. not enough on our plate, that that's not noble enough? Um, because you know, here you are, Lindsay, you're all over the world, not even <laughs> in America. Um, 
there are a lot of you out there that are listening that um, you would like for there to be more options. Um, but God is showing you that there, this is exactly what he needs you to do and that it's plenty. It is plenty. And I it think is there, such go a ahead. high calling, such a high calling. Thank you. It's taken me a long time to get to that point and feel like it's enough. I mean, one of the reasons I started writing and writing on the blog I have is, is saying you are enough because really at the end of the day, that's all I want to know because there's been so many years that I didn't feel enough. Mm -hmm. So many years I've been scrambling and you know, there's all the, the stuff about hustle. I'm not a good hustler. It's not in my nature and I'm okay with that now. Mm. Um, if you had talked to me seven years ago, it was not, but it was also not the season for it. It was a season where I could be um, more selfish. And I'm not saying those that work and all that are selfish, goodness no, but I'm saying it's not the season I'm in currently. Mm -hmm. It may happen again where I can go build an empire. And if I don't, I'm at a point, maybe this sounds terrible, but I don't so much care because no. I know that what I am building here with my family is the empire I need to stand on or stand with. And um, it's the one that will last. Yes. It's because the one I, that will last. Yeah. We read this year, one of the most important things I read this year was um, Making the Terrible Twos Terrific by John Rosemond. But he has this vision, uh, visual aid in there where he's saying, you know, in the first two years, the child is the sun and the, you know, the mother is the planet and she's orbiting around and dad's a moon and he's around the earth. And we're all orbiting around getting through that sort of first two years of servitude as a parent because they can't do anything for themselves. But then you move into older years and how lovely it is that you get to boot them out into the orbit and you as the family get to be the sun. Um, and you not as the mom, you as the mom and the dad. Mm. And I do still feel like sometimes in our military marriages, it still feels like mom is in the sun or our child is in the sun or military member is in the sun. And I just want to put my foot down on that for our family and say, no, me and my husband are going to be the sun here. Mm, I love that. And we're going to let her rotate around us and all other things that come our way. Because at the end of the day, this season of military will end. It does. And it has been a wonderful journey, but it, I want to be standing when it's done. To, to wrap up our time together, there's a story yeah. that I want you to share. Okay. Um, that I think is a beautiful recap um, of where you are today. And that is the story of sitting on the sand dunes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So while we were here in Africa, we're actually in Morocco, which is a lovely place um, to visit, but we got to go to the Sahara together and we left our child with our family members and traveled the many miles and hours down to the Sahara together. And we were, before we left for the trip, I was kind of panicking at the train station because it's a very long way to go and we're not getting back anytime soon. And there's no emergency flight, you know, to get to her. And he sat me down with a piece of pie and he was like, you have to eat. This is called vacation pie. And if you bite this pie with me here, you are on vacation with me. And we love her, but I need you. Mm. And I need this vacation and I need this time with you. Him saying this to me two years later. And I ate the pie and I got on the train 
and we get all the way out to the sand dune and the sun, he had seen it set so many times in Iraq. And he didn't tell me this, but we were sitting at the top of the, of the dune and when the sun went down and hit the bottom of the earth, this huge gust of wind blew across, like someone, you know, like God blew the light out for the day, like it's done. And he sat there and he grabbed my hand and he was like, I remember this. I remember seeing this. And to sit there and see it with him um, and be in that environment and understand that that was really hard. As hard as things have been on my end, they are equally hard and different for him when he is gone and deployed. And to share that space together up there and be in that desert and have that stillness around us that is now a comforting stillness mm-hmm. instead of a dread stillness is a very powerful gift of this mountain that we've climbed together. And I know that I was the one that read the book and took the step. But to have the influence for him to step alongside me and want to, and then us want to keep holding hands and kind of push pulling each other along through this whole change um, that we've been going through has been powerful. And I wish and hope that others know that they can do it too. And you have the strength to do it. Lindsay, that is such a powerful story. I love it so much. And um, what a what a blessing to me and what an honor to have been even a small part of your story and to know that you did this, you and your husband have done this and it's not the end of your story and it's, you don't have a perfect story and today is not perfect. But um, my favorite thing is the fact that you guys know what it's like to go through the valley, but you also know that usually on the other side of the valley is a mountain, like you said. And when those future valleys come to know that there's a mountain on the other side of it, if you push through together. And so um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Please thank your husband for his willingness for you to share this story. Um, There are so many other people, there's so many parts of what you've said today that are going to be so meaningful to so many people. So thank you for, for being so vulnerable and sharing that. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to share it with you. And you weren't a small part. You were a very big part. I know we did the work, but thank you for knowing it was your calling to put yourself out there. 